Hi, I'm Alicia Atchison. I'm vegan, an animal lover, and animal rights activist. Many people say that becoming vegan is one of the best decisions they have made in life. I'm here to share my guest stories on their choice to live a kind life and what it means for them to be vegan. Welcome to A Kind Life. Today I'm joined by Emma. How are you going, Emma? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, I guess anyone that's listening is instantly going to think, oh, where's this accent from? So tell us where you are based in the world. Yes, um, I'm currently based in Boise, Idaho. It's in the uh, northwest corner of the United States. That's so cool. I love it. As soon as I get international guests on, the first thing I think is like, if I was a listener, I'd be thinking, oh, where's that from? Like trying to pick it. So <laughs> thank you for, for informing people of where you're based. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Emma. Yeah. So um, I began my life as a classical musician from a very young age. Um, I was a cellist, a classically trained cellist. I remember from a very young age in music, my um, passion was always to make the world a better place. I wanted to leave the world better than I found it. And for many years, uh, my answer to that was beautifying the world through my music. And um, I went all through university. And as I was um, kind of getting into the professional world um, in music, I realized that although it was very personally fulfilling to play cello and play classical music, it wasn't really having an impact on the world at all. Um, if we're really honest, classical music is kind of dead and no one really cares about it. And so I realized that like really late in my <laughs> career, I'd already gotten a degree in it and everything. Um, so I decided to become a teacher. And so I got my graduate degree in um, cello pedagogy, which is basically how to teach the cello. And my um, thought process with that was through educating children in music, because the study of music is a really beautiful pursuit. Through educating children in the study of music, I could cultivate beautiful character traits in them. So um, self-reliance, work ethic, the ability to take um, criticism, delayed gratification, all those wonderful attributes. So um, that was my goal with becoming a teacher. And so I had a career in um, teaching music, and that was really wonderful. I had so many beautiful students who cultivated those amazing character traits in themselves, and I really did feel like I was making a difference. However, when I was still in, in university, I had become vegan. And as I you know, was vegan, a vegan classical musician, I kind of started to realize, wow, um, you know, teaching is making an impact, but it's not impacting the things that I care most about, which is animal protection and environmental protection. So I was in this really weird place where I did have a fulfilling job and I really was, you know, making the world a better place, but it wasn't impacting what I cared most about and, you know, the issues that I think are are some of the worst issues in the world. And so I kind of started to feel like disillusioned with with my career. And then um, through a very fortunate series of events, I was able to connect with an animal sanctuary. And my partner, John, was the videographer at the sanctuary. So he was creating films for them. And they um, actually offered me a position to work there to be um, responsible for their education and development programs. And it kind of was just this amazing, like serendipitous moment of here's an opportunity where you can actually do what you want to do in the world and impact the issues that you want to impact. And so definitely took that job and had an amazing experience at the sanctuary, learning um, all about how to 
communicate with people and um, educate people about animal agriculture and about the incredible intelligence and sentience of farmed animals. I gave tours to thousands of people at the sanctuary and talked with thousands of people about animal agriculture and animals. And you know, it inspired a lot of people um, to make the transition towards a vegan lifestyle or take steps uh, in the vegan direction. And that was super meaningful. And I, I learned so many things about how, how to communicate with people. What's the best way to really take someone who's an omnivore and, you know, eating animal products and motivate them in, in, uh, inspire this internal desire in them to make a change in their life. And so that was um, an education working at the sanctuary that was truly invaluable. My partner, John, and I uh, also had the opportunity to um, work on films together because he was the videographer and I was responsible for the education department. So we got the opportunity to work together to create films to tell the stories of these animals um, to people that could never physically make it to the sanctuary, you know, so the these films could be proliferated throughout the internet. And that's where we really found our passion together um, to create, to work on these films together and, and craft the storytelling in both uh, in a visual way, but that also utilizes music um, because John and I are both musicians. And so it, film really uh, came to be this, this beautiful medium that incorporated all of these different forms of art, and then we get to do it together. And so we made um, some films uh, with the sanctuary and uh, to tell the stories of uh, the residents that live there. And we found that that was so fulfilling that we wanted to become vegan filmmakers full time. So we made the very difficult decision to leave the sanctuary. It was so sad. We have so many friends there, so many animal friends that we miss dearly. Um, but we really feel that filmmaking and activism is the way that we can reach the most people in the world and um, make the greatest impact in the world. It's so incredible. Like I can only imagine that, you know, for most people when you go vegan, one of the things is you, you would love to have a kind of paid career in this beautiful movement. And so to be able to do that in, in almost, you know, an unexpected way is so incredible. That would have been fantastic. How long did you work at the sanctuary for? Yeah, um, I was there for just over a year, like 13 months. That was something as soon as you started talking about the education component, I really did, I guess, kind of wonder, like, what did you learn about those delivering those messages like you're saying to people who are like omnivores they may have never spent time around animals that may not have even like veganism may not have even been in their realm before having visited the sanctuary like what what did you find as kind of an effective way to deliver that message yeah that's a great question so um before I worked at the sanctuary and when I was a classical musician I was the worst advocate ever the worst communicator ever um truly I I because my career wasn't in veganism and my only outlet for vegan activism was talking to people, talking to my family and, and people that are close to me, I so desperately wanted them to go vegan that I just, it was like, this conversation is it. Like it all rests on this conversation. I have to get them. I have to tell them every single piece of information I know. And once they know the information, they'll become vegan. And that was totally not true um, and did not happen so I would just like word vomit over people and tell them all the horrible things that are done to animals all the health benefits of a vegan diet all the horrible environmental degradation that the animal agriculture um, perpetuates and uh, it was just like 
I could see it in their eyes to the point where they just like turned off and stopped listening. And I couldn't help myself though, because I was, I just so desperately wanted them to listen and to go vegan. So um, before I worked at the sanctuary, I have to say, like, I had a lot of really unsuccessful conversations with people. And I learned that um, if I am expecting someone to change, if they can feel that I'm like wanting them to change, they will resist that. They will close off because no one wants to change, especially when it's an external force. So even if you're presenting, you know, compelling facts and compelling stories, if there's this expectation of like, you need to listen to this and change, people shut off. So I learned that um, before going to the sanctuary. I also learned that people actually aren't really receptive to facts. This is a very like contradictory thing, but people really don't care about facts a lot. Um, I, I was a very fact-driven person. And so that was compelling to me. But most people that I encountered, like, didn't really want to hear about how many gallons of water they'll save every day if they go vegan or, you know, how many animals are killed every second. Like, they just, uh, facts just aren't compelling to them. What people really connect with is stories. And that's what I learned at the sanctuary is how to tell a story, how to make it personal. So one of the most important things when you're talking with someone is you have to listen to them and listen to what motivates them, what's important to them. If they love animals, then lean into that. Tell them stories about animal farmed animals that you know that were saved from the industry and you know what they suffered in the industry and now how beautiful their life is in rescue. People really connect with that. So you have to listen to what motivates them. For instance, if I encounter a 65-year-old man who's eaten meat and potatoes every day his whole life and, you know, lives in rural Idaho and his family are ranchers, and I'm not really going to talk about animal rights to him because that is not something that he cares about. And, uh, and given if he says, I don't care about animal rights, which a lot of that, um, you know, those kinds of people do. So I'm going to talk to him. If, but if he is, you know, telling me about some health issues that he has and lamenting, you know, why, um, you know, he has to go to the doctor, take all these medications, I might drop in some benefits of a plant-based diet on his personal health, because that's what he cares about. So when we're talking to people, we have to tailor our approach to what motivates them. And that really starts with listening. You have to listen to what, what, what's important to them, and then um, kind of lean into that subject matter. And then I find that interweaving stories and facts is the best way to really um, impact people. Because once you've figured out what motivates them, they really connect with a story, a personal story, and then dropping in facts stops that story from just being one individual and it generalizes it to the whole industry. So, you know, this story of Cheerio the lamb is the story of all sheep in the industry. So you you pull them in with that emotional, personal story, but then you can drop facts in to um, help them connect it to all sheep or all cows or all pigs or, you know, the industry as a whole. Yeah. I can only imagine that, yeah, some of those experiences you would have had with people that came to the sanctuary, yeah, would have been, you know, life-changing for them and you witnessing and being part of their story is incredible. Yeah, there were many, many people who literally went vegan, like, in a moment after 
after a tour. I was actually just reviewing today an email that someone sent to me about a year ago after a tour at the sanctuary. And they said, um, we're going vegan, um, especially no dairy because of what we learned about um, the dairy industry and uh, meeting Samantha, who was a cow who was rescued from the dairy industry. People really, when they connect with those stories, like it, it really can change their lives in an instant. People really do, I mean, can go choose to go vegan in the span of a single conversation if we can connect with them emotionally and find out what motivates them. And so when you started to, you know, move into filmmaking, obviously your partner had quite a lot of experience with that. But for you personally, like, you know, is it something that you developed a passion for or learned from him? Like, how did you get started? Yeah, so my partner is actually a classical musician as well. So we met in music school. So he has his undergrad and master's in trumpet performance, but he was also a very talented um, jazz musician and composer. And um, he made the switch to activism and filmmaking before me, but he decided, well, he was kind of having this, the, the same parallel feelings of me of like, classical music is really not fulfilling. I'm vegan. I want to, you know, protect animals and protect the environment. How do I make this shift? And so he decided that videography was a a good avenue to do that. Uh, he is completely self-taught in videography. So he took all of his skills in music and music composition and just learned how to be a videographer. And it actually sounds like pretty counterintuitive, but music and videography are very, very similar. They're very similar skills, especially composition. Even the softwares like are, are very similar. So it came very easily to him. He is such a, a fast learner and, and just wonderful person. And he he really dedicated himself, um, would stay up all night, you know, learning these new softwares and everything. So he kind of became a master at videography pretty fast. And then um, when we started working together, my part in the collaboration was all about the storytelling and kind of bringing in um, what I was learning about communication, being kind of like out in the field with this, with people at the sanctuary. Also, how to synthesize the stories, because um, my graduate degree in pedagogy was really all about how to take a big concept and break it down into small pieces and then synthesize those pieces in an order that um, results in maximum learning and maximum retention of information. So that was kind of how we started collaborating. But since then, um, it's kind of evolved where I've learned the video softwares as well. And so now I um, edit all of our like social media videos on um, the video software. And then he kind of does the editing on the bigger films. But yeah, it's it's a really fun collaboration between the two of us. Yeah, that's incredible. So you and your partner co-founded Veganography. So tell us about that. You know, your mission is obviously to empower people to make more plant-based uh, decisions, like lifestyle decisions. So yeah, tell us, I guess, like where did you even really kind of decide to go from, yeah, being at the sanctuary and doing that to then make going out on your own and doing this, you know, moving forward? At the sanctuary, we I, I was um, responsible for the education and development programs. And um, we had many kind of, events and classes and films and just, you know, there, the, the education program at the sanctuary was really robust. And after every uh, event, we would send out a survey to measure our impact. And most people were not vegan that came to the sanctuary. So we were very interested in this kind of data, impact data. 
And one of the questions we would ask people after an event at the sanctuary or watching our film is how many meals per week do you feel inspired to eat plant-based? And, you know, everyone kind of knows the accepted metric of three meals equals um, one animal's life spared. Every three meals that you eat vegan uh, spares one animal's life. And just in one nine month period from January to September through all those events and um, film screenings, the people that attended those events um, combined committed to eating 105,000 plant-based meals over the next year, which amounts to 35,000 animal lives spared. That's a, it's a very like hard, uh, you know, hard metric to, to track and understand, but that's just kind of a snapshot of like, this is what people were feeling inspired to change. And that wasn't even including um, people who saw our films online, you know, because there's no way to reach out to those people. So um, the, the actual numbers may be a lot greater than that. But my point is that when John and I saw, wow, in nine months, just from this small little sanctuary, you know, the educational impact could save 35,000 animal lives. That's pretty incredible. Like, what could happen if we could reach, you know, people in all corners of the earth through this, this kind of educational mes messaging and films? And um, we really saw the need for, like, a, a reaching more people and a greater impact because only so many people can physically visit the sanctuary. And so the genesis of veganography was really to create films, uh, you know, short and long and educational materials that can reach people anywhere, wherever they are. They don't have to travel to an animal sanctuary. They don't have to, you know, uh, donate uh, to an animal sanctuary, which everyone should do that. Everyone should travel to an animal sanctuary and donate to them. But from the comfort of your own home, you can have access to these educational materials and inspiring stories. And that can inspire so many people to take steps toward a vegan lifestyle or become vegan. So, and, th and then that will save, you know, hopefully a lot of animal lives. So uh, the, the genesis of veganography was really um, to try and reach people all around the world um, and make it accessible for everyone to um, have access to these animal stories and, and hopefully inspire global change towards um, a shift to a, a global vegan diet. Yeah. And tell us about some of the films that you've created. One of my favorite films, I think, was the very first film that we made telling the story, the rescue story of this cow named Lucky. Um, a lot of our, our a lot of our films are focused around telling the the stories of rescued animals and really personalizing that for people. But Lucky's story was was really incredible. So he um, was born on a ranch in Arizona, um, which is in kind of the southwest United States. And his mother was actually um, attacked by wolves on this ranch while she was still pregnant with him and she unfortunately died from the attack but the ranchers were able to pull lucky like from her womb and they saved him which was pretty incredible and so they named him lucky and then they kind of raised him in their house because he didn't have a mom and he kind of became like their their family pet and and they really loved him and would bottle feed him and then they kind of started saying, oh, his life is, or his name is Lucky, but he's really kind of unlucky because we're going to eat him. And that was like, not great. And then, um, but that was kind of just their, the way that they see animals. And I don't know exactly what happened. It's unclear, but they basically weren't able to take care of him anymore or lost their land or something. And he was transferred to another ranch in Colorado. 
And um, in Colorado, this ranch was pretty small and he was the only cow there. Um, he, he had also been the only cow in um, Arizona as well. So at this point, he'd never met another cow in his entire life, not even his mom, because she died giving birth to him. And so in this uh, ranch in Colorado, he was on a very small property, maybe 20 feet by 30 feet, like really not a lot of room for for a growing cow. And again, he was the only cow on that property, but it was adjacent to a popular walking path. So he was being fattened for slaughter, but it was next to a walking path. So people would walk by and he was so incredibly lonely that he would call out over the fence to people. And they kind of like looked at him strangely and would maybe keep walking. But then the next time he would do the same thing. And then they would go up to him over the fence and he would lick them and he would wrap his head around them and he would run and jump. People would like run next to the fence and he would run with them. And then they'd run back and he would run with them. He was so desperate for attention and love that he reached out to anyone, like even if they were a different species, you know, he reached out to humans, like, please just love me, care for me. And he kind of became famous in this little Colorado town as like the cow that's kind of acts like a dog and people would just go to the walking path just to visit him. And he became so famous that when the community found out that he was going to be slaughtered in less than a month's time, they came together and convinced the farmer like, this, the entire town doesn't want you to slaughter this cow. Will you please agree to release him to an animal sanctuary? And luckily the rancher did. And so he was saved from, you know, slaughter and then transferred to an animal sanctuary where we worked. And we actually got to witness the first moment that he met other cows. He was two years old before he had ever met another cow in his entire life. And he went crazy. Like he was jumping up and down and bucking. And like, it was kind of dangerous to be near him because he was like going so crazy. And he was a big guy. And um, he, you know, wrapped his head around the other cows. They licked each other. There was one cow, Samantha, who the first moment she saw him, like she was behind him. So she was looking at his butt and her eyes just went huge like this. And she was like instantly in love. And so Lucky and Samantha like fell in love. And to this day, they're like boyfriend, girlfriend. They like wrap their heads around each other and lick each other. And it's just the most heartwarming story. But I, I love that story because it really shows that if farmed animals need love, they need relationships, they they fall in love, they have, you know, a, a they have like romantic love versus friendship love. Um, they are just like us. They need love in their lives. And so that is probably one of my favorite films that we've made and stories that we've told. It's so cool, like being able to capture, like understanding their story and then being able to capture it and share it with, you know, anyone, like you said, across the world is, yes, yeah, such an amazing yeah. thing to be able to do. And it would be so, you know, rewarding for yourself as well. So I'm guessing like I've seen on your website, you've got quite a few different films and a lot of you've, ha- you've actually won a lot of international film festival awards. So like, how do you, yeah, how do you, do you put those, do you sort of propose your films in, in different, um, you know, film festivals or how does, how do you become I'm an award-winning filmmaker. Yeah, so um, there's this really handy site called Film Freeway, and all of the film festivals in the world are on there, like even the really big ones like Sundance and TIFF, and you just upload your project and submit, and they either accept you or deny you or 
you know, that's, that's how it works. And um, I, I was shocked for that too. I was like, really, it's that easy, but that we just jumped in and started submitting. And then um, we've gotten accepted to 11 film festivals and won awards at seven of them so far. And I think one of the most kind of promising things about that is a lot of these film festivals were not that we've been accepted to were not vegan film festivals. So it's really exciting for us to um, get into film festivals that have nothing to do with animals and get their stories out there and then and you know be re be recognized for for the stories um, because that means that these stories are connecting with people who aren't predisposed to connect with them you know they're they're not vegan and um, that's that's really exciting for us to reach people who aren't vegan yet but are loving these these stories of animals and are connecting with them. And um, so far, our uh, as of July 2023, our films have actually been translated into three other languages as well. So we're even, you know, reaching people who, you know, don't speak the same language as us, but we have this common language of storytelling. So um, that's really, really exciting uh, for us to, to be able to spread the message in that way. Have you been lucky enough to go to any of the film festivals yourselves? Yeah, so we've gone to, um, the only film festival we went to was a vegan one. It was the International Vegan Film Festival in um, Canada. It was in Ottawa this past uh, November. And that was a really wonderful experience to connect with like-minded people and see what other vegan filmmakers are doing. And everyone, everyone in this movement is so creative and so good at what they do. And it was just really inspiring to see other people's work in their movement and um, in this movement and, and connect with them. So um, that's the only one we've gone to so far, but we really want to go to as many as we can. How do you get feedback from people, you know, that might have seen your films? I'm assuming, like you said, it's hard when it's online, but even like film festivals, for example, like do you get people that reach out to you that have seen it and wanted to give you feedback? Yeah. So um, on the internet, like in the comment section, we actually have uh, heard from a lot of people who aren't vegan and aren't vegan and commented in there like this makes me want to go vegan. So that's one of the ways that we um, get feedback film festivals do send us reviews of our films and so and we've posted those on our website as well so that we kind of get like formal feedback from them um which is more about like kind of how we told the story it's not necessarily like this personally made me want to go vegan but that that feedback is very important to us because we're always trying to improve our craft and the way that we tell stories so um yeah feedback is is a very important part of our process um one of the other things we do is we show the films to non-vegan people in our lives to kind of get their feedback of like how does this affect you? Is this is this motivating you to change or does this feel like we're coming on too strongly? We actually had a recent film that we were working on um, in February about the dairy industry. It was telling the um, the rescue story of a mom and baby cow who um, were rescued from the dairy industry. And our first cut of it, um, the feedback was that it was like too much, like too strong. Um, just kind of too fact-based, too, um, too much footage of, of scary things. And they just said, like, I kind of turned off. It wasn't really um, impactful for me. And we really took that feedback to heart and went back and took out a lot of the scary footage of, uh, you know, what happens on factory farms and um, really went back to the root of the story of the mom and the baby and the emotional connection that we can all have with that because everyone has a mom. 
And when we um, did the second cut and showed it to those people in our lives, they were like, oh, it's much better. I feel much more motivated. And actually one of the people who we were testing that on has since gone vegan um, because of those films and because of some health uh, reasons as well. So yeah, we're definitely always seeking feedback in how we tell stories because we just want to be the most effective storytellers and inspire people to go vegan. And is there anything that you're working on at the moment that you'd like to share? Yeah, so um, we actually have a very recent development. So we've decided to write a book um, about how to be the most effective vegan advocate and um, give our audience like some tools of communication. Because I know, like I was saying before, um, I worked at the sanctuary, I was the worst communicator ever, and had very um, unsuccessful conversations. And I know what it feels like to be so frustrated, and like want people to go vegan, but not really know how to communicate that. And I think that's a very common thing in the vegan uh, movement. So we're writing a book to kind of um, help vegans become the most effective advocates for veganism in their everyday lives. Um, and as I was researching this book, I came across this figure. Currently, as of 2023, there are about 88 million vegans in the world, which is about 1.1% of the world's population. And if every vegan can help just one other person transition to veganism each year, the entire world would be vegan in seven years. So if we can all just it, it help one other person in our lives go vegan, like that creates such a ripple effect. That is so powerful. Like we really have a lot of power to change the world. We just need to kind of come together and organize and, and figure out the best way to communicate this message. So that's really what our book is all about. Um, we're currently in the process of writing it. We hope to publish definitely by the end of the year, but hopefully early fall. Um, and that's really our service to the vegan movement to kind of just help amplify um, each person's individual impact in their lives. And so will that be available on your website? Yeah, that'll be available on our website and um, we'll actually publish, uh, self-publish through Amazon. So it'll be available for everyone everywhere who has Amazon. Yeah. And it is really great going onto your website because you can see like the whole portfolio and you've got links to the different films that you've made. Like, And also there's some shorts and a lot of photography as well, which is really incredible. So I'd highly recommend that people jump across and have a look. And like you said as well, you are working on or you have been working on the social media content for Veganography's Instagram and you know other social accounts as well. I guess from an outsider's perspective, when you look at those pages, for example, your Insta Instagram, obviously it is sort of like snippets of different things, like different points for activists, like for activists and also for non-vegans as well. So I guess like how do you kind of, yeah, where do you sort of channel the information that you're putting out through social media? Yeah, um, the goal of our social media is kind of twofold. Um, first of all, we want to create really kind of short informational um, videos or infographics that can be shared to educate the non-vegan population. So one of the recent videos we did was, do cows need to be milked? And so we just kind of go through a short explanation of like what happens in the dairy industry, why cows don't need to be milked unless they're forcibly impregnated and have their babies taken away. So it's kind of, you know, a short 
um, video that can educate anyone who wants to know this information. And that's really geared towards non-vegans. Um, we also do a fair amount of content geared towards vegans to help them communicate more clearly. So another recent video we did was about the protein myth, but it was geared towards vegans of like, this is how you answer those questions. When someone asks you, where do you get your protein? These are actually the three um, kind of unasked questions or uh, gaps in information that they have in your mind. So you need to answer those unasked questions in addition to I just get my protein from plants. So um, we're really speaking to non-vegans and vegans. So it's kind of for um, our social media is for everyone uh, because we want to help people transition to a vegan diet, but we also want to amplify the impact of people who are already vegan. Yeah, it's great that you cover both forms of that because it really appeals to everyone, whoever comes across your page. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> And I realized that we actually missed, you did sort of skim over how you became vegan. So tell us your vegan story. Oh, yes. So um, I was raised in a very like traditional American household, like lots of animal products, lots of dairy in particular. Um, I was like super addicted to cheese and ice cream and all that stuff. And throughout my kind of childhood and adolescence, I was actually like quite overweight and I, I went through puberty very young. So like at seven years old, I was five foot six and like a kind of a full grown person. So I, I just like shot up and I didn't look like the other kids my age because I had grown so quickly. And I, I believe that was because I was con consuming so much dairy and there's so much growth hormones in dairy. Um, and so I kind of had like an unhappy childhood in that I just didn't look like everyone else. I didn't fit in. I was kind of overweight and I was like addicted to um, cheese and all these animal products and um, suffered like some mental health issues with that too. And then going off to college, I, my kind of like dramatic vegan story is that I had um, a boyfriend who we were long distance. So I was in um, Denver and he was in Baltimore and those are kind of on opposite sides of the country. And I went to go visit him. Um, I was 19 years old and um, I went to go visit him in July and we went to Washington DC, which is the capital of the United States. And it was the 4th of July, which is our independence day. So it was, it's like a huge thing to be on 4th of July in the city's capital. So we're in, um, we're in DC on the 4th of July. It's kind of the sun's starting to go down. Fireworks are starting to go off and we kind of get like in a fight on the streets of DC. I don't even remember what it was, but um, basically he said like, I uh, don't love you anymore and I don't, I'm breaking up with you and this is done. <laughs> and so it was so like traumatizing and so dramatic. And then I had to go back to his apartment that night and like stay at his apartment because I don't have anywhere else to go. And that really like put me in a downward spiral. And I just was, I, I got to like a pretty rock bottom where I was just like so unhappy with where I, I was in my life. And I felt like the only person who like really cared about me was now gone. And I was unhappy, like in my body and I just didn't feel comfortable. And I just knew that like something had to change. And so I started kind of researching about um about food because one of my e one of my biggest issues even kind of um sidestepping that that relationship was I just didn't feel comfortable in my body and I didn't feel comfortable with my relationship with food it was very addictive it was very um like I was dependent on like cheese and like I couldn't like put it down you know 
And so I started researching about food and stumbled across um, a lot of documentaries. And one of the most impactful one was What the Health, which I'm sure many people have seen. And that really opened my eyes to, wow, like, I don't have to feel like this. Like I can choose to eat different foods and I can feel good in my body and I can like not be addicted to foods and I can like be happy. And so after seeing that documentary, I made the decision to go vegan, like cold tofu overnight. And I immediately felt the difference. Literally within two weeks, I was like the happiest I'd ever been in my life. Like truly it transformed my mental health more than anything. Uh, because I felt like I didn't have this addictive relationship with food. I felt much healthier and more energetic in my body. And then when I learned about the animal agriculture industry, it just opened my eyes to, wow, I was, I had these um, values of compassion and love, but I was not living in alignment with them. But now in this, you know, eating a, a plant-based and vegan diet, like I am in a, uh, living in alignment with those values. So it was just kind of this whole combination of um, realizations that, that just culminated in, in that, um, that transition in my life. And um, the, I have to say like the, the change was immediate. Like I felt so much better, like as soon as I went vegan. And, um, I feel like I truly had to hit that rock bottom in order to come out of that. And that's not everyone's journey, but that was, that was my journey. And so I was 19 when that happened and it was, uh, the best thing that ever happened to me. I, uh, to this day, look back and thank that boyfriend in my head for dumping me on the streets of DC. Cause that is really what transformed my life. So <laughs> thank you. But yeah, it's, it be, going vegan, like truly, truly changed my relationship with myself, my relationship with food, and then ultimately, you know, the trajectory of my life. So going vegan can be like the best thing that ever happens to us. Now, I know that you said that, um, you know, you met John as part of your musical career, but we all do love a vegan love story. So tell us, was John, <laughs> was John vegan when you met him or did you, did that happen after you guys met? Like, tell us that story. <laughs> he was not vegan when we met so that happened to me and so I was vegan very happily and then um John I I met John maybe two years later um so he he was getting his master's while I was getting my undergrad and um we met in orchestra super uh (laughs) classical musician like um stereotype so yeah we were like looking across each other at the in orchestra like ooh. (laughs) hello like you're cute and um we actually worked together like outside of orchestra we had like the student job where um we were working together and I asked him to cover a shift one day because I had a a rehearsal or something and he did and then as a thank you I brought him some homemade vegan hummus and so I brought it to him in orchestra the next day and as I'm handing him this this uh Tupperware of hummus it's like the Pyrex you know of of homemade hummus and everyone's seeing this and is like what's happening here like why, why is she handing him hummus and then from there we just kind of uh, blossomed and started hanging out and falling in love and John um had actually previously been a hundred pounds overweight so he had just lost a hundred pounds through standard um diet and exercise like on an omnivorous diet so he was very much like into fitness and health and so we'd be hanging out and he would talk about you know, eating chicken or whatever. And I would just be like, oh, you know, that's like not really good for you. 
and just kind of leave it at that. And he'd be like, what are you talking about? And then I would just keep dropping little hints like that. And then I got him to watch the same documentaries that changed my life. And he was like, very interested and very convinced. And one day I was just like, hey, why don't you just try going vegan for like three weeks? You know, you don't have to um, make a lifelong commitment after three weeks, you can go back to eating meat. Like it's, it's not a big deal, but just try it and see how you feel. And so that was very approachable for him to not have to make like a lifelong commitment. Like I'm never going to eat meat ever again. It's like, just for these three weeks, I'm going to try it. And during those three weeks, he felt so amazing, so energetic. He, He felt like his mind like his mental clarity was much better like he could just think clearer which I think is really interesting um anyway during those three weeks that he felt a complete difference and he was like oh yeah I'm never going back like I never want to feel like I did before and so he's been vegan ever since and then after that you know he found out about animal agriculture and you know the environmental degradation and what the animals go through and so he's very motivated um, by ethics as well I love it. It's so cute. It sounds like, you know, one of those like American like love movies, <laughs> love stories. <laughs> it really was funny. Yeah. Oh, the hummus, the hummus is what got him. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Emma. Is there anything that we might have missed that you did want to share before we finish up? Oh, wow. I don't think so. I think we covered everything. You're such a great interviewer. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I feel like it's so hard because there is so much, you know, of everybody's story and I want to make sure that we don't miss it. And sometimes you get to the end and and the person thinks, oh, yeah, I forgot this really important part. So I just want to make sure that there's nothing, you know, as part of your journey that we might have missed sharing. I think we got all of it. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. I really, um, yeah, I'm really grateful. And I look forward to seeing the book as it comes out later in the year as well, because I think it's a different medium. Like you said, you know, for people that are already vegan, that might need some advice in, in having those effective conversations. It's really yeah, something else to look forward to. And I will link all of your website and obviously your social media in the uh, podcast notes so that people can jump across. And like you said, hopefully share some of that content so that it gets out through wider network as well which would be really incredible thank you so much we really appreciate it anytime well I look forward to yeah keeping in touch and seeing what you guys are working on because it's really incredible so thank you so much thank you thank you so much for having us it was such an honor to talk with you today thanks for joining us today I would love to hear from you if you've been inspired by this episode or if you have any requests for future episodes you can find me on Instagram at a kind life remember be kind to your body kind to animals and kind to our planet Take care.